these councils, at different points out of them, you have lists of this is what we say the New Testament is, this is what we say the Old Testament is, this is what we say the proper numbering of the Psalms is. But what they're doing is they're affirming what has already been in practice all across the churches. And so they're not deciding something that's brand new information to the rest of the church. It's a powwow, not one elitist type of meeting to determine something new for the rest of the church. Welcome back to Study with Friends. I'm Paige, and we're so glad you're here today as we continue our journey in understanding how the biblical canon was formed and why it's important. If you missed previous episodes or want further resources, you can find them on our website, studywithfriends.org. Need to listen to us at another time? Download our latest episode on any of your favorite streaming apps and listen wherever you are, whenever. You can also watch the ladies discuss the series in whole on YouTube. Now, let's continue with our discussion. I think you let in really well that the people who were investigating, trying to discover what is and is not canon, were really, I love that you use this first because they're standing on this. What did Jesus say we can expect? Mm-hmm. And what of this, let's just imagine for a second, a whole bunch of Bible things were out on the table, but only some of them would end up being canon. What of this selection mm-hmm. affirms that truth? Yeah. So I thought that was, that was a really good way to tee up where you're going next because by what authority did those people decide? Right. This is kind of a loop. They didn't decide it. They discovered it. And they're standing on the truth of this John 14 passage, which says, here's what you can expect. Um, and all of scripture, which says, you know, it affirms itself. Right. So, yeah, but that's a really daunting, complicated process. But I think you laid a good foundation for it. Okay. So if we, the canonization of scripture really did happen. The, when we talk about the canonization of the Old Testament is a different process in the early church than the canonization of the New Testament. And they're happening somewhat together because the idea of canon is coming up in the first and second century while the New Testament writings are being written and being circulated and being um, interpreted and the the church is trying to figure out what to do with what. Mm -hmm. Um, The Old Testament books obviously were not being composed in the first and second century, Um, but the early church did need to decide, okay, Mm -hmm. if we're going to set this is our scripture, what all are we bringing with us Mm -hmm. from the Hebrew scriptures? Um, And so the Hebrew church, the Jewish church, did not have a set canon in the first century. There was... So uh, please explain the difference between what you mean by the Hebrew church and those who remained Hebrew but did not believe in Christ because this really gets to the difference between the Jewish canon and the Christian canon. Yeah. So the the short version 
is that Jews who became Christians when Jesus came and his apostles formed the church brought with them all of their Old Testament books. Mm -hmm. Jesus, in his time on earth, affirmed a lot of it. All of, you know, scripture points to me. He reads Isaiah in the temple and says, this is fulfilled in your sight. Um, and so there's, there's good reason that they, you know, bring the Pentateuch with them. They bring the Psalms. They bring Isaiah. They bring all of these Old Testament books with them. Um, but then when they get a little bit further along, they start to say, okay, we need a set canon. They discover that while the, the early church, as they're coming into forming the church, not all of them had the same set of Old Testament scriptures mm -hmm. that they were bringing with them. Mm -hmm. For the most part, they overlapped. But there were some outliers, and the idea of a closed yeah. set canon wasn't there. And that's that's what's really hard for us to wrap I our know. mind around. Um, because for us, because it's not even is, something we ever even question. have, mm -hmm. right. Like when you talk. It's shocking to people when they find out there are different denominations with different right. books. That's shocking because we think of the canon as set. Yeah. So the, yeah, the Protestant Bible doesn't have the same books as the Catholic Bible. Mm -hmm doesn't have the same books as the Eastern Orthodox mm -hmm. Bible. And so it's, it's just more fluid. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the early church, the canonization of the Old Testament scriptures came down to largely what was inherited by first century Jews. And some of the fringe books that were not as broadly accepted, like if you want named Baruch and Judith and the wisdom of Solomon um, and Sirach uh, were intertestamental writings um, that now we would call apocryphal books. These are books that are included in the Catholic Bible that are included in the Eastern Orthodox Bible, um, but that were added in later. Mm -hmm. So these are books that were sometimes accepted, sometimes not in the early church and in the first century Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of the first few centuries, as the canon became more defined, mm -hmm were not included for various reasons. The main, main one being that while this might be helpful theologically, while this might be helpful in or interesting to read, beneficial devotionally in some ways, we don't believe this is scripture. We don't believe this is critical to the Christian faith. We don't believe this is critical for... Um, combating heresy in the church. We can't keep everything on the boat. We don't need everything on the boat. So these things fell off. Mm -hmm. um, and then many, many, many centuries later, 
in the in the case of the Catholic Bible, they got added back in, saying these are deuterocanonical, meaning that they are they're not like adding it back into the canon, but they're saying we still want you to know them. They're, they're still canon beneficial. adjacent. They're canon adjacent. That's great. <laughs> deuterocanonical. Um, so wait, I just want to express to you that I think what some people might be experiencing right now is what I know you and I experienced when we go to, when we went to seminary and class, so many clerks. One of the things that, that happens in seminary is they blow your ideas apart, mm-hmm. which is extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you, they help you piece them rightly back together. That's happening a little bit here. Okay. I don't know how to, I don't know how to okay. cope with it, but I think probably that's the, you remember, you know, I do. Yeah. And it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's exciting because it's opening your mind up to new things that you didn't know you didn't know, but it's a lot to take in. Yeah. Give us an anchor. We need an anchor. Okay. Or let me try. The Pentateuch. <laughs> Let me try to plain terms it, but feel free to correct me. Okay. The book that we have in our lap is what we consider canon. Canon is not so different from Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. It's not so different even from Old Testament, what the, what the synagogues are looking at right now. Not so different. We just threw a right. lot of stuff in to that little bit. But the truth is not so different. Let's start with right. that. That's a good foundational, like comf- comforting thing to yes. remember. Yes. There are dis- what we, I would call disputed or discussed books. Um, there's, a, you said a lot of big words for them. Apocryphal, yes. due to canon. Okay, so let's just put them into a classification of they're not harmful or else I don't think Right. Any the, of the main the, Christian yeah, the religions that would, would have them, right? They so they're not harmful, possible. but people disagree on whether they were inspired by God and worthy of keeping in what we call a closed canon. Yes. So, and that is a lot to take in. Yeah. Especially if you're a new believer and you're like, wait a minute, because I think for a lot of people, what we're doing here is we're rocking the boat and we have to make sure that we get the boat safely to land right. because we don't want to r- disrupt everybody's idea of like, well, can I trust any of it? So I think there's, uh, I think we need an anchor, you know, like most of it is the same. Correct. And yeah. uh, one thing that I learned in seminary was read them, read them. Right. Like I found Maccabees extremely informative yeah. and really helpful as I processed the second ten- temple Judaism culture. Right. And so they're not harmful. That's, I think, the first right. thing that we yes. want to make when sure we're that we're saying. When we're talking about the apocryphal books, when we're talking about the the Old Testament books that were sometimes people liked them and wanted them in and some people didn't. Like, these were not books that were condemned. Heretical, right. That were mm-hmm. heretical, yeah. that were, you know, when we get to talking about the Gnostic Gospels later, like, that's a completely different ordeal. That's a completely different issue that's a completely different reason yeah, yeah. for not being in scripture. those are if you almost read whole wholly rejected right. w-h-o-l-l-y correct almost entirely rejected yeah these other ones are like I, I don't even correct me if you think this is too loose of a way to say it but they're a little bit like on the fence uh, it depends on who you're talking about when where so 
a good example would be that we talked about the church fathers. If you read Augustine, Mm -hmm. Augustine loves the wisdom of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Like if you read Augustine on the Trinity, almost like half of his citations are from the wisdom of Solomon. But everything that he's saying, you could go to other places in the rest of the Old Testament that we still have in our canon Mm -hmm. and say the same thing about the Trinity. And I think that says a lot about the nature of those books. So are you saying there are somewhat superfluous? I'm not going to put their extra credit. (laughs) (laughs) I am saying that it's complicated that because there <laughs> I there want you to make it simple right now. It's you, not simple. In this moment, it's not simple. Do what no you, one has been able to this. do up until Does this. God do simple things? <laughs> Holly. Yeah, I know, I'm teasing you. But I think I think you have to kind of give it, yeah. you not everybody who watches this is going to be a seminarian no, sure. or even really be able to take in what we're saying. But I'm not going to lie to him just because of that. I know. It's I not a should, but I think we got to we got to find Thanks. our the anchor is that there it's largely the same. Yeah. The, okay, good. the the Jewish church, the Jew, not the, Jew, the Jewish church, those who were Jewish and came in to the church, came to a very similar set canon of Old Testament, even as the modern Jewish community does. Mm-hmm. Like their set of scriptures looks like our Old Testament. Mm-hmm even um so yeah even the disagreements that were there were small okay here's what i also think we'll do okay on the website where we put this study we'll link some helpful articles that go in a little bit more because there's so much more that we want to cover but i think that this is what happens you pique people's curiosity we don't want to shake their faith in the word as they have it but we also want them to investigate if they're curious about the things that aren't in their book but are in their catholic friends books right so we'll link some articles and i'll let you give me those articles because i want it all to be consistent with what you're teaching sound good that sounds good okay i threw you all off no that's great (laughs) so so many of those books that were not accepted into the set canon of the Christian church later because they continued to be referenced. They continued to be used in different ways in the church, um, recommended theological readings, Mm -hmm. even if they weren't seen as scripture. Um, The Catholic church later added them back in as the apocryphal books as deuterocanonical, meaning that they're not canon, but also important Mm -hmm. to the faith and Mm -hmm. also like have our stamp of approval for reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we talk about the Old Testament books are really, really old. (laughs) And so with, with, formation of canon often you get questions about the dependability of what we have okay if you're telling me that you know this psalm was written 1500 years ago why would i believe that that you know you play a game of 
telephone. I hate this. I hate this <laughs> comparison. I'm going to hit it. When you say it, <laughs> I, you got to let me have at it. I, 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 I hate that. Yeah. People but, say it all the time. But that's what? That's why we need to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you can go first because it makes my blood boil. So I hate it. <laughs> they weren't playing games. <laughs> that's right. Um, that what we have of the Old Testament is is dependable. And one of the key historical moments for us knowing that that's true is the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran. One of my favorite things. So in 1947, um, a whole bunch of scrolls, which is how Old Testament scriptures were written. They were written on the big scrolls. Christians invented the books later. <laughs> um, <laughs> the apostles were like, we're traveling around trying to carry the word of God. So they invented the book. Um, they discovered all these scrolls that were the that were Old Testament scriptures that were from a, a Jewish community. Um, and the at this time in the 1940s, the earliest Hebrew texts we had were the Masoretic texts mm -hmm. from 10th and 11th century, which is not very, like it's old, but when you're looking at, okay, how long ago were these things originally composed mm -hmm. and where are we at in history? Um, medi early medieval texts were not old enough, not old enough mm -hmm. to, to really stand up to a lot of yeah. criticisms. Yeah. And so the discovery at Qumran of texts that were, third century BC to first century AD um, was huge. And in comparing those texts to the texts that we had from the Masoretes, which was a Jewish community in the 10th and 11th century, um, and to the texts that we were using for translations and um, versions of scripture, the differences were negligible. Mm -hmm. They were, you can look at, we're not going to get into all the differences, but they, they were very, very small. Um, and so that affirmed that the transmission mm -hmm. of scripture was reliable. Yeah. That what scripture was had in the, the early church and before mm -hmm. in the early Jewish communities, that, that that is what we have now. Yeah. Um, which again goes there's so much to take from that a the supernatural involvement yeah. of the giving preserving and protecting of mm -hmm. the truth that god wants his people to have mm -hmm. so uh, that's i mean i could talk about dead sea scrolls all day but that i think is one of the most important points to pull from that which is that god gave this word and he will supernaturally protect this word right. and make sure that the he, he's not looking for his people to be lost. He right. wants us to be uh, affirmed in the truth. Um, I'm going to wind back to the game of telephone and just have my little rant. Yep, go for it. Um, sometimes people say um, a few things about the um, transmission of Scripture over the years. One is before it could be written down, and it was tra transmitted orally, mm -hmm. um, much like the b game of telephone or whisper down the lane. 
it couldn't possibly be reliable. The reason that that offends me is twofold. Probably threefold. Probably multifold. But a couple that I'm going to raise. First, um, I think it's offensive to any tribal culture mm. of any era. Uh, because the storyteller, the oral proclaimer of these truths was not playing a game. It was an apprenticeship. It was mm -hmm. taken very seriously. It wasn't your best version of the story. And Lauren's version is really more exciting. She added more color. It was literally their ability. They were chosen and selected to, and still true, by the way, today, there are still cultures that exist right now that still maintain an oral tradition. And, and so I'm, a, I'm, I'm secondhand offended on their behalf because the oral tradition is sacred. And yeah. these people are selected based on their memory skills, their ability to, to literally give back to you, when you if I'm your apprentice, and give back to you exactly in inflection, in word choice, everything that you're passing to me. It's not my version of it. Yeah. It is my stewardship of it. And, and, and this is how oral tradition is passed. And so I'm secondhand offended for cultures that still esteem the oral tradition and I'm super offended by the idea that the way that our scripture was transmitted by our holy God through people who he chose even before the written word was in any way shape or form a game yeah I that that gets me <laughs> because and it's just it's just really reductionist and it it did I, I agree with you it's for letting me denigrates other cultures but it, it's also what's the uh there's c.s lewis loves this term and i can't remember what it is but where like hi historical like pompousness that he that's not what he calls it but like we we think that as that culturally like we've arrived that we are mm. so much better um i know what you're talking the, about what does he call it uh I don't know. It's like here are all my C.S. Lewis books. How much time do you have? You, it's arrogance. Yeah, it's yeah, like that's the historical gist. arrogance, mm -hmm. something like that's that. Cultural gist. arrogance. That um, ours is the best version. Ours is the best mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. We have, and sure, our culture has made advances, but it's the denigration of all that has come before. Like they couldn't possibly have reliably translated or reliably transmitted. Without technology, without technology or books without, or because information is so much more reliable when you find it on the internet. Right. Hi again, it's Paige. Thanks again for joining us in our study today. We hope that you found some great truths to apply to your life and encouragement for your faith as you continue to mature in your walk with Jesus. We here at Study With Friends are modeled more like a small group. We want to encourage you to continue your growth through the local church. If you don't have a church home, we encourage you to find one where the Bible is taught in every situation. Study With Friends is a completely donor-supported ministry. And if we have blessed you, would you consider donating to us? Monthly partnerships are particularly helpful, but no amount is too small. We'd also love to stay connected. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can stream us on the go wherever you are with iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And now you can watch the ladies on YouTube. If all that seems to be a bit too much for you, feel free to email us. 
you can find our email address on our website, studywithfriends.org. While you're there, you can check out a myriad of other resources we have that are all free for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time when we study with friends. Thank you.